0: It's good for us. We need to, this time of year, to come and adore Him, don't we? We get busy with a lot of other distractions, and so thank you all for leading us in that. We need to be reminded. Well, there's a a part of Christmas and the part of the birth of Christ that's very mysterious, isn't it? The whole virgin being in impregnated through the Holy Spirit and and how that all came about. It's very mysterious. So as we get started this morning, I want to show a a short video about the mystery of Christmas before we start the message this morning. (laughs) After Jesus died, they put Jesus in a tomb and wrapped him Yeah, that's all right. If we don't have that, that's okay. I can just move into my my message. It's all right. That was that was probably my bad. I gave the wrong title. But yeah, it's not Easter yet. We're getting a little, a little ahead <laughs> of ourselves there. That's mysterious too, though. You know, I mean, the, the whole deal's mysterious. But but part of the mystery of of, of Jesus coming into the world, um, so humbly. And, and so off the radar is, is part of that mystery, isn't it? You know, why would Jesus come into the world? Why would God bring the Savior into the world in such a, a low-key way? Not with, you know, a lot of pomp and circumstance and, and accolades and all those kind of things, but why so much off? The radar. Yes, the Jewish people obviously they were looking and longed for and anticipated a savior of the world. But sometimes I think we we forget this. So was the rest of the world, y'all. The Gentiles, everybody that wasn't Jewish, you know what? They wanted a savior of the world too. They wanted something. Even the Greeks and the Romans, who we think about in that first century, who were very powerful, they looked to the mythical gods in the heavens to send a savior to the world. And basically. All the groups all over the world, you know what? They long for a savior. They wanted a savior. They wanted, like we do, they wanted all the bad in their lives to go away and all the good to come. Is that not what we still want? I mean, right now, when we think about all the bad in the world, if that would just go away, and I, when I say in the world, I'm not just talking about somebody in another country and that dictator go away, or maybe we don't like what's going on in our country in politics. We want that to go away. But I'm saying even in our lives personally, there's things we wish would go away right now, don't we? There's things that we wish would come, the good that would come, and that would be the main part of our life. But some of us are struggling, even as we're supposed to be thinking about joy this Christmas. We we struggle with some of that stuff. But the problem with wanting all the bad to go away and all the good to come is that humans throughout history, even us, we all have differing opinions on what's bad and needs to go away, don't we? If I ask all of y'all, what bad needs to go away? You'd probably say something very different than I would say. That needs to go away. And you go, really? Or you say, the good needs to come. And I might go, really? Or you might go, really? That's what you think needs to come? And so some of the going and coming involved in in that coming and going of good and bad, if you think about it, in this part of the world, part of that and still in our world today as we listen to the news is that the good would be is that everybody would think like me and believe like me and everybody that doesn't think like me would just go away. That's the bad. And it even gets in, even to this, in in the first century it was going on, if that certain group of ethnic people would just go away, everything would be okay. And sometimes dictators get that rolling, don't they? And we've seen in history how that can play out. And that's never what God intended, not to do away with people, but to save people. Sin was the problem, not people, the sin in people. So as we think about that, and for most of us, the Savior would need to be a powerful yet good king who would rule with political power and also military power, and, of course, he would have to think and believe just like I think and believe to be the great king. But no one expected a Savior to come as a baby born to a poor teenage girl as as Kevin talked about. No one expected that to a poor teenage couple born in a feed trough in the midst of a census being taken. No one expected a Savior to grow up for the next 30 years and kind of, again, fly under the radar. I thought you were the Savior. There was all this, you know... It, expression of of joy and, and, and amazing things were going to happen because the Savior is here. But in the next 30 years, he kind of flew under the radar in this obscure place called Nazareth as a carpenter. How are you going to save the world being a carpenter for 30 years, Jesus? No one expected Jesus when he started his ministry at 30 years old to challenge the old way and establish a new way. How are you going to save the world like that? We just need you to enforce the old way, Jesus, not start something completely new and different. But they would find out, just as we would, that that new way would ultimately save the world. There would still be bad in the world. There would still be good in the world. But ultimately, Jesus had taken care of what actually was our problem. And that was sin, because it separated us from God and from each other. Well, many years after Jesus' life and death and resurrection and the ascension, we know that The Holy Spirit inspired certain men to write an account of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they started to pen what they remembered from their own experience, from those they would interview about what was the life of Jesus like. And so part of that was um, the very first one we come to in the New Covenant or the New Testament is Matthew. It's always the first one. Now, it probably wasn't the one that was written first. We believe Mark was written first. But Matthew's the one that always starts. After the Old Covenant, after the Old Testament, it's Matthew. And Matthew was one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus who was a Jew. And it was written primarily for a Jewish audience. He's trying to say, this really is the Messiah, this Jesus. And he wanted his people to know about that. And so he emphasizes the connection of Jesus to the Old Testament prophecies, to the Old Testament prophets about this Savior, this Messiah that would come into the world. And so he emphasizes that. He talks about the kingdom of heaven a lot in his gospel, reminding us of what Jesus was setting up in his life. And so Matthew starts with something that may seem unusual to us, but is certainly not to his specific first uh, audience, and that was a genealogy or a family tree. And that's where he starts. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he starts right in about this family tree, this genealogy. And if Jesus was who Matthew claimed he was, there needed to be a connection for the Jewish people. You need to connect Jesus to, number one, Father Abraham at the very beginning. But he also needs to be connected to royalty, to King David. And that's exactly what Matthew did from the start when we read that. He connects him to Father Abraham from the very beginning... When God called Abraham, I will make this wonderful nation out of you. And then he connects him to King David. So I'm going to read a little bit. I'm not sure if we have that on the screen. I'm just going to read a little bit of this because this is long and has a lot of awkward names that I'm going to butcher, (laughs) mercy, badly. So I'm just going to read part of this. And I want you to listen for four women's names that are significant as we go through this. Because what's significant about these women's names is usually in Jewish genealogies you did not put... The woman's names. Now, I'm not saying they're not important. Nobody was saying that's just the way they did it in history. They said, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and and then he had this son, and then that son had this son. And it went down, and women were not mentioned. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to enter these women's names into this. Because they were actually a part, but they usually weren't mentioned. So, Matthew starts off saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David. Right from the beginning, he says, he is the Messiah... He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he starts that saying there. And let me show you why. And he says, so Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah. And normally you would just move from Zerah to Perez the father of Hezron. But look what Matthew adds, whose mother was Tamar. I'm going to tell you about Tamar in a minute because she had a pretty bad past. But then he goes on and says, Perez the... um, The father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nishan. Nishan, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. And then here he interjects again, whose mother was Rahab. Does anybody remember Rahab from Genesis? She was a prostitute. Why would you put that in there? But he did. And then next, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Again, interjecting a woman's name in there. And Ruth great story. If you've never read that book of the Old Testament, it's a fascinating story of restoration. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Now the royalty is obviously there. And then David was the father of Solomon. And then he throws in another. And this lady, obviously, we aren't even going to put her name in there. We're just going to refer to who she was, whose mother had been Uriah's wife and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and I'm going to stop right there. So you can, you can finish reading all of those. And it goes all the way till the end of chapter 17, 16, and then he says, And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So he goes all the way from Abraham and connects the dots all the way through, all the way to Jesus. So someone reading that going, well, I guess he's definitely, he's definitely kin to Abraham, definitely kin to David. So, yeah, he's got that royalty. And, and the Messiah is supposed to come for the royal. So, so, Matthew starts that from the very beginning. But I want to talk about these particular women. And again, in a, lot of, um, in a lot of cultures, seemingly more important than someone's character was their family status. Is that not true sometimes? We care more about somebody's family status than we care about their actual character. We want to know well, what tribe are they from? What clan are they from? What family are they from? Who were your parents? Who are your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents? What did they do? Did they have land? Did they have money? Were they in power? Were they in authority? Those are the kind of things that we ask. How did they survive? Did they have prestige? Those are the things we care about sometimes. How many of y'all have ever gone to Ancestry.com? Anybody ever done that in here? I see a few hands, and I would love to talk to y'all sometimes because it's fascinating from what I understand that in our particular culture, we know that... um, you can find several ways through that website to research your family roots or history. And with the speed and, and access of technology that we have today that's all over the world, it's never been easier to find out something about your own family history. But yet, not a lot of people do that. There's only a few handful of people do Now, I've thought about doing that. I would really like to know. I know a little bit of something from talking to my parents and my grandparents, but I would really like to know more. Where did we actually come from? And what I understand, I was talking to Terry uh, this week, uh, Terry Everly, and he was saying, yeah, you can actually spit on a swab and you can mail it in to, to Ancestry and they will take that DNA off of that swab that you spit on and they'll give you a printout of the different nationalities and the different ethnicities that are a part of who you are. That's fascinating to me. How do they know that? But they can do that. And many of y'all have done this or maybe you're in the process of doing it or maybe that's what you're going to get for Christmas. I don't know. That would be a neat present, wouldn't it? That somebody would pay for you to go and do some research on your family and find out about who you are. But it links us to places. It, it links us to, to people. It links us to events that, that help us understand who we really are when we start going. I had no idea that my great-great-grandfather did this or my great-great-grandmother did this. That's amazing. That explains a little bit about whatever it may be. And so we get those links. So I think this was important. So Matthew starts his account by making these connections through the genealogy of Jesus that most any Jew would be proud of. Yes, I'm linked to Abraham. Yes, I'm linked to King David. But Matthew also does this unconventional thing of linking Jesus to some women and to some events that we read about in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you all about some of these Things that happen with these women. And y'all, this, I promise you, is in the Bible. And you're going, I can't believe you're saying this on Sunday morning, but it was in the Bible. And God doesn't try to cover it up or, or just say, let's not talk about that. No, he says, this is what happened. But even through all of that, God's plan stayed God's plan. And that's what we need to hear this morning. And that plan was a plan of joy that would bring salvation for the rest of the world. And so these women, three of them, at least three of them were Gentiles. How did a Gentile woman get into the Jewish genealogy of Jesus? It was supposed to be pure Jewish, but it didn't happen that way because, as we know, when humans get involved, we have a way of screwing things up, don't we? We're going to do it our way. So we're going to look at these four women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba is the name of the lady that, that Matthew didn't even write, just the, the husband I mean, her husband was um, Uriah the Hittite, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So why include these women, especially those with these type of of past in their background? Because it was part of who Jesus' family was, and the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write exactly what God wanted us to know and to include. And it showed, again, that he connected historically to Abraham and David, which was very important. So let's look at Tamar, and we're not going to go to chapter... 38 of Genesis, but this is where it comes. So y'all remember Joseph, the guy with the coat of many colors, remember? Okay, well, he had a brother, and his brother's name was Judah, and he married this woman named Shua, and they had three sons, Er, E-R, that was his name, Er, Onan, and Shelah. And so he got a wife for his first son, Er, Judah did, whose name was Tamar, and this is part of Jesus' genealogy. So Ur was put to death, and Genesis tells us that because the Lord said Ur was an evil man, so God put him to death. I don't understand that, but he put him to death. So now Tamar had had no kids yet, and her husband now, she's a widow, and he's dead. Now, according to Jewish law, if you were the next in line as far as the brother, you were supposed to take your... Um, sister-in-law, and you were supposed to pass on the family name. I know this seems weird, and we're like, gross, what in the world? What kind of laws were those? But you were supposed to sleep with your um, uh, brother's wife, and and so his name would be passed on. So the next guy in line was Onan. Now, he knew this, but either he didn't like kids, or he didn't want the kids to be his, but they really weren't his, So um, as he he slept with her, but as he was whatever, he took care of things so that there would ensure there was no kids. I'll just put it like that, okay? And God was not happy with this, and it said the Lord took Onan away too. I'm not making this up, y'all. It's in the Bible. So he took him away, and now there's one son left. And Judah's going, is this woman the black widow or something? I know I'm supposed to give my next son to him as well. I mean he's supposed to, you know, he's supposed to marry her and carry this on. But he's younger, so he said, Look, you just go live at your father's house, Tamar, and when he gets a little bit older, I'll I'll um send for you and you can be his wife and we'll take care of all this. But he never intended on that happening. So he just just years and years and years. And the um the youngest son, Shelah, he got old enough to marry, but he never called her. So she got upset about this and says, I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to be able to carry on the family. So she came up with a brilliant plan of, I'm going to dress up like a prostitute, and I'm going to go to this certain place, and I'm going to try to seduce um my father-in-law. I know, again, you're going, gross, what in the world's going on? This is in the Bible, y'all. So she does, and being the righteous, I'm sorry, the unrighteous man that he was, he goes, oh, there's a temple prostitute. And so he had sex with her, and she became impregnated. Well, he didn't know, because she had on a disguise. She just thought it was a prostitute. No one will ever find out. But there was an exchange of some items so that she would know who was who it was that he said, you got to bring me, and you can read it in Genesis 38. It was all this, there was an exchange of things. So she became pregnant. The, the city or town that they lived in found out that she was pregnant. And, and, and Judah finds out and goes, your daughter-in-law is pregnant, and she's been doing prostitution. He goes, well, she should be burned. And then she comes out and goes, well, whoever these things are, and she had some of his things, this is the man who impregnated me. And he's like, oh, that would be me. She is more righteous than I was. And he admitted his sin and said, she knew that I was never going to keep that promise, and this is why she did this. That's pretty ugly, isn't it? That's stuff I don't really want in my family tree. But it was there, and Jesus and God doesn't hide that. Why? That's fascinating to me. So you go on, and we go on to the next lady. This is a part of Jesus' family tree. So why include this? I would have just left that part out. Nobody needs to know all that. If you just left the name, the lady's name out, Matthew, a lot of people never would have known that. But then came Rahab. Y'all know what? Rahab was a prostitute. She was of the enemy. And you remember when the Israelites were told to march around Jericho seven times? Remember that? And the walls would come tumbling down? She knew of God, Rahab. She was an enemy. She was a prostitute. But yet when she heard about what was going to happen, she goes, the spies came into Jericho ahead of time. You remember that? And Rahab says, you know what? I know your God is real. I know that. I don't know how she knew, but she knew that God was real. And she says, I'm going to hide you guys, but you got to promise me that you'll keep me and my family safe when y'all come in because I know this is going to happen. I know nobody around here believes it, but I know that your God is real. He's the one real God, and he's going to take us over And when y'all come in. So, so uh, she hid these spies, and she lied. So she's an enemy. She's a prostitute, and she's a liar. That's a good person to have in your family tree, isn't it? But she hid those spies, and sure enough, they marched around, the walls came tumbling down, and they. she put a scarlet cord out of her window, and, and just as they promised, they saved Rahab and all her family. Who knew that she was going to be part of Jesus' family tree eventually? Because, again, she is a Gentile. You're not supposed to marry Gentiles, but somewhere along the way we find out that Salmon married Rahab the harlot. Now, don't come to me after the service and say it's Salmon Craig. I think his name was Salmon, okay? I get it, all right? You can ask a Jewish person, but I'm just going with Salmon here, all right? So he marries Rahab the harlot, and you can read this in Joshua chapters 2 and 6, what I've just talked about. But eventually, Salmon and Rahab had a son named Boaz, and Boaz married a lady named Ruth, and there's a whole book in the Bible about Ruth, and Ruth was a Moabitess, not one of the 12 tribes, okay? Okay? And the Moabites along with the Ammonites were hated by the Jews. And you can go to Genesis 19 and read about this. And this is another horrific family tale that is in Jesus' genealogy. You remember Abraham? And he had a nephew named Lot. You remember that? And so Lot had these daughters. And these daughters got their father. I'm telling you all, this is in the Bible. Go to Genesis 19. They got their dad drunk on consecutive nights and slept with their dad so they would get pregnant. And out of that came Moab and ben Ami, and they would become the Moabites and the Ammonites who became bitter enemies because the Jewish people knew what had happened. This ugliness is in Jesus' family tree, y'all. And you go, Craig, why are you telling us about this this morning? This is joy Sunday. We just lit the joy candle. But I'm telling you, this is leading up into an amazing thing when you think about two straight generations of non-Israelite mothers. But anyway, going back to Ruth. Ruth was widowed and found herself in this similar predicament as Tamar, but she decided to go a more righteous route. So she accompanies Ruth, her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Naomi's homeland, the tribe of Judah, and she goes back there and she finds a husband. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. If you've never read the book of Ruth, it's very short, but it's an amazing story of redemption. And Ruth was not an Israelite, but Boaz married her. Again, interestingly enough, she marries another man named Boaz, and Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David, some of y'all knew it, who became the king of Israel. Is that not amazing? Now, some of y'all may have heard this before, but I've heard it before, and I've read about it before, but every time I go back and read this stuff, I'm just fascinated by, and all that scheming, all of that deceit, all of that stuff that was going on within the family, God still says, you're not going to mess up my plan. You can marry outside of the Jews. You can marry a prostitute. You can do all these crazy, sinful things that everybody's going to go, "What?" But you're not going to mess up my plan. The Savior's still coming, and He's going to come through exactly the seed that I always said it would come through, and it did. Is that not amazing? It's amazing when you think about it. And then there were the the, the other woman that was mentioned here. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother who had been Uriah's wife. And you can go to Second Samuel chapter 11, and some of y'all may know this story. If you're here today and you've not heard this, you're going to go out of here with your head spinning. You're going to go, what? I got to read the Bible. This stuff is crazy. I hope you do. I hope you do. I hope you go, that guy's nuts. That's not in there. I hope you read it. But chapter 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read about David and Bathsheba. David's supposed to be off at war, but again, he's home and he's not supposed to be. And he's standing over the ledge of his palace or whatever and he sees this woman taking a bath and I don't know if she's doing it for show but he doesn't go in and take a cold shower he just keeps watching and I think she's kind of putting on a show to be quite honest with you and then he finds and sends somebody to say hey who is that woman that I saw taking a bath uh that would be um Bathsheba and that would be Uriah one of your soldiers wife David okay bring her to me uh did you hear what I said David that was Uriah's wife one of your soldiers I know bring her to me and he brings her to, him and they do the grown-up, and all of a sudden there's a kid. And they're going to be a kid. And so David's trying to cover up, so he has Uriah come back from the army and goes, Hey, why don't you go home and sleep with your wife? So the kid that looks exactly like me you'll think is yours. But Uriah is such a righteous man. David even tries to get him drunk, and he says, I cannot go home and sleep with my wife when all the other men are out on the field fighting. I will not do that. And now David's in a predicament. This guy's even more righteous than I thought. So what do you think he does? He takes him and moves him to the front lines of where the fighting is the worst. And he tells his commander, everybody back off from Uriah so he will get killed. And we'll try to cover all this up. And that's what David did. Again, y'all, why in the world would you put this stuff in your family tree? But it's in there. Matthew doesn't leave it out. Jesus wants us to know about it. Again, all that evil and bad and deceitful stuff. Now, some of y'all are going, yeah, it sounds like my family my wife's family not mine you know (laughs) but we we know of crazy stuff and some of you that have done some of this stuff we we see this stuff and again that's not normal to add women in but again it was the inspiration of the holy spirit now i want to say something about matthew if i could If you remember, Matthew was a tax collector. He was Jewish, but he was a tax collector. He took a job taking taxes, working for the Roman government who was against the the Jews. They knew that they took more taxes than they needed. It was an oppressive type tax. And every time they saw Matthew sitting there, they're going, you're a Jew and you're working for the Romans. What is wrong with you? They're the oppressors and you're working for them. He felt like an outsider. So I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit inspired him to say when you feel like an outsider, don't forget Jesus had a lot of outsiders in his family tree. And he wasn't afraid of them. Remember when he went and says, come follow me, and Matthew did. And when he went to his house that night, people were all upset. Why in the world did you go to Matthew's house? The Pharisees are going, how can you, how can you go to the, the, the house of a sinner? And Matthew remembers Jesus say, it's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick who need a doctor. And that's why I'm going to Matthew's house. And they had a big party, and he connected with those people. Because I know you're outsiders, but still you are not outside the love of God. Even though the religious leaders have told you because of your sins, you're outside, or because of something your great-great-grandfather did, you're outside the love of God. It's not true. Don't believe it. That's why I came. And Matthew connected with Jesus from the very first encounter. Come follow me. The rest of the Jews are going, get away from me. And he's saying, come Follow me, and I'm going to go to your house, and let's have a party. So Matthew never forgot that. And that's why I think the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to say, I want you to know about Jesus' past. Everybody that seems like an outsider is in, even though we sometimes want to tell people they're outside. But human sin, even in the midst of dysfunction, deception, deceit, all of that, Jesus was born in spite of and in through all of that. Think about that. It's amazing. And human sin could not start, stop part of God's plan of salvation. That sin, all those ugly sins, the arrogance of thinking that I can do this evil thing and treat somebody like that and get away with it, did not stop God's plan of salvation. God's timing and plan of salvation is still available for you and me today. Guess what? Since all of that family tree of Jesus, has there been any more sin in the world? Well, absolutely there has. All through the years, more sin, more deceit, more deception, more dysfunction. And all of that, as Paul would tell us in Romans, cannot separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. It can't separate us. So, I know it's supposed to be joy, but Jesus was not ashamed of his family tree. Jesus was not ashamed of you and me. Yes, he doesn't like our sin because he knows it separates us from him. Yes, he knows that it hurts us and it hurts our families, but he's not ashamed of you. And we need to hear that story today. If there's anything that brings us joy at Christmas, it's that in spite of my sin and deceit and dysfunction that I have allowed in my life and I've done to other people, I'm still loved, I'm still forgiven, I'm still died for and still risen for. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that brings us joy. Amen. Thank y'all. That is true. A Savior who came to save all people from their sins, regardless of the baggage you have in your family tree, regardless of those sins, and regardless of the impact of those sins. There is grace, there is forgiveness, and there's new birth. And it starts with the celebration of the birth of Christ who would come to live and to teach us what it really meant to live as a child of God and ultimately die for us and be resurrected so that sin could no longer separate us from God and death could no longer keep us from God for eternity. And that's the good news of the gospel. So is that worth celebrating this Christmas for you? I hope it is. I know it's some crazy stuff, but it's it's worth it to know that. And when we celebrate the birth of Christ, it reminds me that we all need to be born again, don't we? We need to be born again. He told um, he told a man one night, we, we know that special passage, John 3.16. But Nicodemus came at night to talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, you're a, a leader of Israel and you don't understand you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is going, how can I get back in my mother's womb? That's impossible. And then came that wonderful phrase that we're very familiar with, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever... Doesn't have to be Jewish. Doesn't have to come from a a, a great family tree. Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have what? Everlasting life. And so that's the hope of Christmas. That's the joy of Christmas that even in spite of our sins, even in spite of our crazy dysfunctional families, God still calls us. And some of you may be thinking right now as I'm talking about this, yeah, I know that crazy uncle of mine. That crazy mom of mine, that crazy dad of mine, that crazy son of mine. Some of you got some junk going on right now. And at this Christmas, I hope, and in spite of all that that's going on, you remember that Jesus died for them. Yeah, they may be acting a fool right now, but God in his love still loves them and wants to see them restored. Absolutely. And that's why Jesus came, to restore us. Not just to get rid of us, but to restore us back in relationship. And that's the joy of Christmas that we celebrate. If you're here today and you want to know that and you've never named Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today and we're going to offer that invitation. But I want to remind you that if it's something you're not comfortable coming up in front of everybody today, I get that, but we would love to talk to you after the service sometime later this week. I'd be glad to. Isaiah will talk to you, uh, other of our staff, even somebody sitting right next to you. Don't let this just be a fleeting thought. I need to get right with God. Take care of that. And what better season to do that? In the, in the season of Christmas. So we're going to offer that invitation or, or maybe you're looking for a church home where we absolutely embrace Jesus Christ, his ugly, dysfunctional family tree and all. We embrace Jesus Christ here. And if you want to be part of that family, we offer that invitation as well. So Kevin's going to lead us in a song and uh, we're going to go into a time of communion. But as we're preparing our hearts for communion, if you have a decision you want to make, I'll be right here and help you walk you through that if you want to. But for the rest of us, we're going to try to focus on Jesus. And realize that in spite of that dysfunctional family tree, he came and died for us. And so we're going to take communion together in just a little bit. And if you're visiting here today, you do not have to be a member. You don't have to be a part of our family tree. You just have to be somebody that believes that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. And you can uh, participate in communion, and we'll walk you through that in a minute. So let's stand together and sing this song and focus on Jesus' love for us.